0: open your Bibles to the book of 2nd Timothy this morning 2nd Timothy on this beautiful Sunday morning um, as we kind of get along in the calendar I want to brag on Jesus because one of my favorite things to do is what the psalmist wrote he said we'll declare your faithful works from generation to generation and I just want to brag on God's activity um, especially on a day like today where you come in and it's like oh what a dreary day Jesus is doing awesome stuff And I want to brag on the faithfulness of God, friends. This is just, we'll say, the last two weeks, roughly, some of God's activity in the life of Living Hope Columbus in and through and around us. Um, If you were with us last Sunday, our pastoral intern, John, did his first, quote, mini-sermon. And friends, he crushed it. (laughs) I joked with him after. I preached my first message on John chapter 6 and uh, the entire chapter, which is a ton of verses, and it took me, like, two minutes, okay? Like, it was terrible. John did awesome, and uh, if you've seen John's progression over these past really 18 months and how he's maturing and growing and what God is doing in and through him, like that's, that's something worth celebrating. Um, we have ne- new families now in our church that are connected. They've connected in serving. Our first domestic mission team ever out of Living Hope Columbus is currently on the field in Pittsburgh as we're worshiping this morning. They're worshiping with New Horizons Church Plant. They're going to serve with Send Relief, which we'll talk about at the end of our service. Um, We've sent people on international trips we've never sent a domestic team before. And so we have five people from our church that were sent out yesterday on their first domestic team. Um, I've got phone calls these past two weeks of people that have shared the gospel um, for the first time in like years, sometimes decades, that they're sharing Jesus with people that they're interacting with at work, school, friends. That's incredible. Um, The Finding Hope Center this week furnished another apartment for a family that was in need of somebody that had recently moved here, which is awesome. Scott, our other pastoral intern, finalized over these last few weeks an FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes at Hyatts Middle School here in Powell. They didn't have one. Scott got it started. It starts this September, which is awesome. In the last six weeks, let's take our calendar out just a little bit, 74 different items have left the Finding Hope Center to bless people that needed just a little bit of help during a tough season. Uh, Next Sunday, we have the very first mission team ever coming to us to serve our church and to serve through Living Hope. So we have a group of 15 people from Arkansas, so they'll be in worship with us next Sunday morning. They're going to serve through Living Hope to help us push the mission forward of helping people find and follow Jesus. We've never had a mission team before. That is awesome. And then here's the thing that I'm most excited about. Our radio program, which Michael Hennep has been so helpful in getting that out across the airwaves on 93.3 has made its way into the Marion Correctional Institution two weeks ago to the point where a mom heard it, a mom passed it on to a son that was going through a hard time, found himself in that prison, and the son has requested that our pastors come and visit him to encourage him, and we also bring the gospel with us, if you didn't know. And we're going to share the gospel with him and see what Jesus does through that as well. Guys, God's moving. I'm excited. And in the midst of you, look outside and you're like, ah, oh, in here, and like, Ugh. I'm so pumped. All right. Y'all need to chill out. This is good stuff. Goodness gracious. Hey, 2 Timothy chapter 4, I'm excited to share this morning. If you'll stand with me in honor of reading God's word. First and 2 Timothy are two of my favorite books in the Bible. We're going to read starting in verse 6 of chapter 4 of 2 Timothy. And Paul writes these words. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time for my departure is close. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this morning. God, we get to gather in your house. Father, it may be a rainy day outside, Lord, but we're going to celebrate Jesus this morning. We're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to lift up and sing about the name of Jesus. So God, as we walk through these verses together this morning, would you teach us and draw us closer to yourself? Would you give us ears to hear from you and hearts, Lord, soft hearts that we need in order to hear from the throne of heaven today? God, it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. Well, our second to last question this week is one that I think is so important for us to engage with in these days. This question that we're going to address here in just a moment carries a lot of weight, it carries a lot of implications for us. And here's the question if you're a note taker, I'm going to have a lot of notes for you to write down today, so make sure you do that. But the question is this How do I stay faithful in my walk with Jesus? How do I stay faithful in my walk with Jesus? In a culture that is continually drifting further and further from the truth, how do I maintain that close connection in my faithfulness and my walk with Jesus? And as we've been preparing for this question over the last several weeks, one passage that I couldn't escape from is found here in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And I think this passage is relevant to answer this question because I've heard it said before something like this, that your last words are your most important words. Your last words are the summation of everything that you've learned with your life. And so when you read someone's last words, you should probably pay attention to what they said. And it's here in 2 Timothy chapter four that we find Paul's last written words before his death. In Acts chapter nine, we looked at that last year at some point, Paul was converted on the Damascus road. And now to the penning of this letter, death is knocking on Paul's doorstep. Yet Paul continued to remain faithful In his walk with Jesus, Paul stood for the truth. He made disciples. He lived for Jesus. And in in, in all circumstances, he encountered. But the big question for us today is this, how? How did Paul do that? What did it take? What defined Paul's life? Let me give us some context here of 2 Timothy. It's a letter written from Paul. We've said his name about 13 times already this morning. To a young man, a young pastor named Timothy. Timothy. Timothy was a pastor of a church in Ephesus. Timothy had been mentored and discipled by Paul. And now as Paul pens this final letter, these last written words that we have of Paul, he's imprisoned in Rome, death knocking at his door, and Paul uses his final moments on this earth to pen these last words. As I read through this letter, I'm reminded of this truth, that Paul's entire goal of this letter was not to elevate himself. Rather, Paul uses his last words to encourage Timothy to remain faithful to the gospel. He uses his last words to encourage Timothy to remain faithful to Jesus. Because the last days, as Paul calls them, are imminent. Culture will continue to decay. So we need to continue to move towards Christ. And as what what Paul's doing here, he says, Timothy, just keep being faithful. Be faithful to the calling that God put on your life. He says, look at my example, and you're invited to kind of look to me and and follow me. Look to how I lived my life as what it looks like to be faithful to the very end. I want to give you three points today. Write these down. Point number one is this. Paul tells Timothy to remain faithful in your walk with Jesus. First off, you need to live as a sacrifice. Live as a sacrifice. Look again at verse 6. Paul says, for I'm already being poured out. I love that, that picture there. I'm poured out as a drink offering, and the time for my departure is close. we said this over and over. Paul's life is coming to an end, and Scriptures don't give us a a clear indication of how Paul died, but historically it's believed that shortly after penning this letter that Paul was beheaded in Rome by the emperor Nero, A.D. 67, 68, something like that. So Paul knows that his last breath is coming. Look at what he says there in verse 6. The time for my departure is close. That word departure there is so significant. I didn't know this until this week. So I want you to circle departure in your Bible if you have an ink pen and a a paper copy of God's word. That word departure, this is the only time in the New Testament that word is used. And it has two basic meanings. First off, the first meaning is a ship that's being released from anchor. So whether that ship maybe had pulled up the anchor or it was was cutting the line, the, the picture was this ship that was now set free in order to sail. The second picture that we see here that that Paul could be using with this idea of departure is the idea of a camp that's being taken down. So if you've ever been camping before, first off, you're weird because camping is so weird. Um, If you go camping, you've probably been there. You take down your your tent poles. You have to fold up the the actual tent and you you put it away. He uses similar imagery in 2 Corinthians 5. It'll be up on the screen. Paul says, uh, For we know that if our earthly tent that we live in is destroyed... So he's referencing this, like, flesh suit that you and I live in. Um, If you've gotten older, you kind of, like, live this verse. The earthly tent is being destroyed. Every morning when I wake up now, it's like I sit up and it's like, crack, 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 my back, you know. Or you bend over to pick something up and you strain your lower back. Or you turn to look at something and now you've pulled a neck muscle. Like, we understand what Paul's talking about here. But then he goes on to say, but we have a building from God we have this eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. He says, indeed, we groan in this tent, desiring to put on a heavenly dwelling. You see, the picture here that Paul is giving us when he talks about his departure is twofold. Paul says the dwelling that we now have in these human bodies is temporary. And someday they're going to be t- taken down. That boat is only anchored for a season. The tent is never meant to be a permanent dwelling. The tent is a temporary dwelling. Eventually, with both, what happens? You pull up anchor, you take down the tent, and you go home. That's the picture Paul's painting for us here. He knew his departure to heaven was close. And while the means of death weren't ideal, nobody like, wakes up and he's like, you know what I want to do today? I want to get beheaded. That just sounds up. No, we don't do that. The the means of departure weren't ideal, but I think Paul is looking at his departure from this earth with anticipation. And it drove me to kind of ask this question. If you knew your last days were imminent, how would you spend your time? Paul shows us here in verse 6, he knew his last days were coming, and how, how would most of us spend our last days if we knew that death was just a week or two away? What would you do with your time? We would travel maybe? Maybe you'd go and you'd visit family. Maybe not your in-laws, but the rest of your family. Maybe you'd go and enjoy restaurants or hobbies that you love more than anything else. What did Paul do? This is so significant. He lived as a sacrifice. Paul didn't do any of those things. And I understand he's in prison. I get all of that. But but Paul chose this moment to live as a sacrifice. Not only to Jesus, but to others. What did he say there in verse 6? I'm being poured out. As a drink offering, he's echoing the uh, Old Testament drink offering. If you're familiar with that, let me let me show you this verse: Exodus twenty nine verse forty. It says, "With the first lamb, so this is a, a priest offering a sacrifice to God. With the first lamb, offer two quarts of fine flour mixed with one quart of oil from crushed olives." And then look at this part, second half of verse forty, and a drink offering of one quart of wine. So what would happen here, the drink offering, is the priest would offer these grain offerings and these burnt offerings to, uh, as a, an offering to God for, for the sins of Israel. And then they would take this, this, uh, this wine and pour it over the altar as well as an offering to God. And that was kind of the, the prescription that God put forward. But what's even more significant is the drink offering was not just something the priests did. The drink offering, like everything in the Old Testament, was symbolic. Because they were pouring that wine out on top of the altar. What did that do in the Old Testament? It looked toward, you ready? The shed blood of Jesus. As they would pour out that wine, that was symbolic of Jesus' blood that would ultimately be shed on the cross. Luke 22, verse 20. Jesus at the last supper, in the same way, he took a cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And then here it is, right before his death, Jesus says, which is poured out for you. So even Jesus was pointing them to the fact that the drink offering was meant to be a sacrifice. Now, Saren, how's this all tie together? When you are recipients and partakers in the shed blood of Jesus, you've repented of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ, we're invited then by God to now live as poured out drink offerings. Romans 12.1, Paul calls this uh, living sacrifices. You all remember when we were in our Philippians series last year during the pandemic? And we we were walking verse by verse through the book of Philippians. And so we're talking about this idea. So Paul Paul living poured out for the sake of the gospel and for other people. Let me give you for the sake of the gospel. You ready real quick. When Paul was in the Philippian jail, he was under house arrest. If you remember, he was chained to a Roman guard. And in Philippians 1, verse 13, he says this incredible thing. He says that the gospel is making its way through the imperial ranks. Do you remember that? What was Paul telling us there? Paul says, I was chained up for the gospel's sake, but I didn't waste it. I lived as a sacrifice to Jesus by doing what? Sharing the gospel with the guard who's chained to me. He goes on to say at the end of Philippians chapter 4, Paul says, uh, send greetings to all of these different people as he's writing this letter. And he says, oh, by the way, members of Caesar's household send greetings to you as well. You know what Paul was doing in that verse? He's being a little snarky. Because what Paul was saying is, hey, by the way, as this letter's delivered, say hi to this friend, this friend, this friend, this friend, but also, just so you know, the guard that just met Jesus, the member of Caesar's house, says hi too, because he's saved now. He's a Christian. Booyah. That's what Paul's doing. And so as Paul now is in a Roman jail cell again, he, was a, he had like frequent traveler miles or whatever that is, frequent flyer miles to the Roman jail, Paul's still living as a sacrifice. We have no reason to guess that Paul's time in this jail was any different. He's living as a sacrifice to make sure the name of Jesus is spread and known. But also, I love this, Paul's still humbly serving other people with his last days. Let me give you a couple of examples here. First off, the letter was written to who? Timothy. To do what? Encourage him. We see in uh, 2 Timothy 4 verse 11 that Luke was with Timothy and, and Paul's encouraging Luke. He also says in verse 21 of chapter 4 that Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and others are still with him. What's Paul doing? Encouraging them, speaking the gospel to them. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, Paul says, I want Mark to join me again, which again is a story of reconciliation, but that's a story for another day. Why? Because Paul wanted to continue to minister with Mark. Verse 19 of chapter 4, Paul says, hey, send greetings to Priscilla, Aquila, and the house of Onesiphorus. What's Paul doing here? Paul is just living as a sacrifice on behalf of other people for the gospel's sake and for the sake of others. Friends, how do I stay faithful in my walk with Jesus when culture decays, everything's pressing in around me? I live as a sacrifice. That's it, point number two. Point number two, gotta carry out your calling. Look at verse seven. Paul says, "I've, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. So now he transitions here to a different imagery, not of a boat or a tent, But of a race and not just a race this long hard fought marathon probably thinking to yourself aaron are you qualified to talk about running no i'm not because i don't like running i don't understand running some of y'all run and again probably the same people that go camping are the same ones that run like i'm just convinced of that right and i just don't i I don't understand it and i'm convinced we're going to get to heaven and there's not going to be a track there will be no treadmills there's none of that stuff we're just not going to run in heaven preach, right? (laughs) But this imagery is so significant, friends. I want us to make sure, man, get your pen out. You need to circle some stuff here in your Bible. There's three parts of the race that Paul points us to. First off, Paul says, I pressed through in the race. That phrase right there, I fought the good fight. Paul's not talking about putting on boxing gloves and battling the devil, okay? This is a reference to the race that he was engaged in. And fought there, again, just significant words that we can glaze over and totally miss. Fought there is actually a word, one commentator said this, it means to strain every nerve in your body in order to attain the prize. Isn't that good? Strain every nerve in your body in order to attain the prize. If you've ever ran a long run before, you're familiar with this reality. For me, it's less than a mile, but again, that's a different story. If you've ever been on a long run before, what happens? Eventually you reach a point in that run where your carbohydrate stores, they run out. Your muscles start to fill up with lactic acid. And what do you have to do in that moment? You choose to press through. You choose to to press through in that moment. Friends, the Christian life is no different. Paul reminds us as Christians, we have to learn to press through in our calling. That there's going to be the mountains that the Psalms talk about. But there will also be the Psalm 23, 4, the valley of the shadow of death. We have to learn to journey through both. And how do we do that? We fix our eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 12, verse 1 says, the author and the perfecter of our faith. He's the prize that we keep in sight as we press through. What's the calling on your life? That's the question I get all the time. What's God's will for my life? I'm going to tell you right now. You ready for the secret? I'm going to tell you right now with absolute clarity God's will for your life. You ready for it? Love God, make disciples right where you are. Does God want me to get this new job somewhere else? I don't know. Love God and make disciples right where you are. That's God's calling for you and that's his will for your life right now. What's his will for my life tomorrow? I don't know, James says, don't worry about it. Love God, make disciples right here. Well, then what's God's will for my life tomorrow? We'll figure it out when we get there, but it's gonna be the same. Love God, make disciples right where you are. What's God want me to do with my life a week from now? I don't know, but he does want you to love God and make disciples right where you are. That's God's will and it's his calling on your life. And Paul says, I I just pressed forward for that sake. Here's the second one. Paul says he finished the race. What does that mean? Listen to this. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says that we've been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Psalm 139 verse 16 says that all my days were written in your book. And look at this little phrase here that David includes. And all my days were planned before a single one of them began. Here's here's the reality. If you are a follower of Jesus today, God has a specific calling for you. What is it? Love God and make disciples. How do I do that? I fix my eyes on Jesus and I love God and make disciples all around me. At my work, in my family, everywhere I go. I fix my eyes on Jesus and I love God and I make disciples. And Paul says, now that I'm at the end of the course, you know what I did? I did. I love God and I made disciples. That's the goal of the Christian life. Look at the last part of verse 7, the third part. Third part, Paul says, I've kept the faith. That is such a buzz phrase in Christian culture today. Can we stop saying that? Just keep the faith, brother. Stop it, okay? What, What does that actually mean here? What that actually means here is Paul says, I was faithful to Jesus This wasn't some internal effort that I mustered up. No, no, no. I kept my eyes on Him because He was the prize. He was the goal. And He was the one I was going to continue to look for. And so I'm just going to keep running to Him. That's what it means to keep the faith. Friends, when you understand, Joe told me this this week, when you understand the depth and the magnitude of what Jesus did on the cross for you and I, we have no other response but to run towards him. Why? Because nothing and no one is worthy of our worship than Jesus. Here's the end of point number two. How do I stay faithful in my walk with Jesus? I got to live as a sacrifice for the sake of others and then also for the sake of Jesus, what is the the second one there? How do I keep my, my eye? How do I keep this faithfulness moving forward? I got to carry out my calling of loving God and making disciples everywhere I go. And here's the third one: I got to keep the right focus. I got to keep the right focus. Paul says in verse eight, "There's reserved for me a crown of of righteousness, which the Lord, the light, righteous Judge, is going to give me." You see, in Roman culture, if you were to um, compete as an athlete. In Roman culture, what would happen is you'd get to the end of that competition, and if you won, you would be granted this, this crown of sorts. But it wasn't a crown like we think of it, of the silver or gold crown. You've probably seen this if you ever watched Hercules. It was like this wreath almost that they would put across your head. It would be a wreath made of ivy or leaves or flowers of some kind. But here's the significant part. It was perishable. Because what happens to ivy eventually? It dies. What happens to leaves? Eventually, they brown. What happens to flowers? Eventually, the blooms are going to fall off. And Paul says, yeah, CCC, that's a good illustration. But Paul says, I, I got a better one. I'm not focused on achieving an earthly crown like some of these athletes. Instead, I have a heavenly crown waiting on me. You know, in the scriptures, there's multiple crowns promised to the believer. There's things such as the crown of life, the crown of glory, the crown of righteousness. And Paul shows us another one here. He says, I've got my eyes on Jesus and Jesus is going to give me this crown. He's going to place it on my head because I've finished the race. Here's what's really cool. I love this. Is the crown the the prize? Mm -mm. Christians, if we think the crown is the prize, we miss it. What's the prize? Jesus. Jesus is the prize The crown is just the added benefit. Jesus is who we strive towards. The crown is just the added benefit. Jesus is who we fix our eyes on. The crown is just the added benefit. Because Revelation seems to indicate that someday when we may receive all of these crowns from Jesus, that we're going to turn back around with the 24 elders and we're going to give them back to Him as an act of worship. Why? Because Jesus is the prize. I'm not going to get my crown and scurry off into eternity and say, hey, Pastor Joe, look at all my crowns. That's not what we're going to do. I'm going to take my crown. I'm going to take it off my head. I'm going to place it at the feet of Jesus because he's my goal. He's my prize. He's the one that I'm focused on. Notice at the very end here as we almost close. Paul says that those crowns are given to those who loved Jesus' appearing. What does that mean? It means we look to Jesus with eager anticipation. I look to eternity with eager anticipation, longing to be with Christ. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, don't give up. My outer person's being destroyed, but my inner's being renewed. Momentary light affliction producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. Jesus demands my focus. How do I stay faithful as a Christian? I keep my focus on the right thing, and the right thing is Jesus. Hey, I got something, a story I want to tell you of a gentleman I encountered just a few weeks ago. And I want you to write something down here in just a moment in your Bible and your journal. So a few weeks ago, I got to visit this church and share about God's activity here at Living Hope. And as I walked in there, I was introduced to a few people. And in the very back row, I saw an older couple, probably in their late 70s, early 80s. Rather, maybe a little bit frail, but they were still moving around okay. And I was talking to some people and they said, hey, we want to introduce you to somebody. So this older couple, they come walking up to me and they said, this is the former pastor of our church. They served here faithfully for over 25 years. So not only have they been walking with Jesus for several decades, they served faithfully at one church for 25 years. It's incredible. And here's a little tidbit of, like, this is free for you this morning. If you ever encounter anyone that's walked with Jesus for multiple decades, you need to pause and talk to them. You need, whatever you're doing, you drop it and you listen to whatever that senior saint has to say, period. I don't care what you're doing. You need to listen to what they had to say. So in that moment, I told him I was a church planter and he started sharing some of their their stories, stories of victory, stories of cancer, surgery, um, times of having nothing, times of abundance. But in the whole story, Jesus was just woven through everything that he said. And after about 10 minutes of him and his his sweet wife sharing with me and my wife, I, I took advantage of the moment. I looked him straight in the eye. I said, Pastor, I got one question for you. What's the secret? Like you've been walking with Jesus for so long. What is the secret? Like, how did you do it? What, what made you press through? How did you do this for so long? And what he told me, I think, sums up Paul's words here. And then I'm going to pray for us. He said, Aaron, he said, when things got tough, I remembered this. When things were, were, were man, they were so good. I remembered this. When my wife was going in for cancer surgery, I remembered this. When we were celebrating victories in our church, I remembered this. He said, this was the key to my faithfulness for so long with Jesus. And it's right here in the front of my Bible now. He said, I always remembered this six words by his grace for his glory. He said in the good times, I remembered that everything I'm experienced was by his grace and I was going to use it for God's glory. He said, even in the bad times when I was experiencing extreme hurt and pain physically, emotionally, spiritually, so many things, I just remember that in that moment I was still here by God's grace and I existed for God's glory. Friends, what's the key to faithfulness and walking with Jesus? We need more Christians that endure in an age of faith deconstruction, and man, our theology is coming in the form of Tic Tacs and Skittles just through little Facebook videos and all that kind of garbage. We need Christians that endure and that are in the Word of God and that are faithful to the local church and that are pressed into what Jesus wants them to do. That's what this world needs. How do I do it? By His grace, for His glory. I I live as a sacrifice. I I live in my calling. I do all of those things. How? By his grace and for his glory. Let me pray for us. God, I pray that your, your word penetrates the heart of each one of us today. God, I, I pray that, God, you would find us faithful. God, would you find us faithful in our, our pursuit of Jesus? Would you find us faithful in our culture. Would you find us faithful in our churches? Would you find us faithful in our families? God, would you find us faithful? God, I pray for my friends in this room today that maybe don't know Jesus as their Savior yet. God, that in this this moment that they would understand the bad news is is that we're sinners. And the worse news than that, God, is our our sin has left us separated from you. God, in this place of brokenness, And there's nothing that we can do about our sin. There's no outside thing that that can fill the void that is in us, that can fill the the gap that has broken our relationship with God. The only solution is Jesus. And because of what Jesus did on that cross, Lord, when we repent of our sin and believe in Him, God, you take up residence inside of us, Romans chapter 8 says, and we get to walk with you through this life and into eternity. Gotta pray if any of my friends don't have that certainty today that, God, I'd give their life to Jesus. So, Lord, as we sing now the praises that you deserve, God, would you find us faithful? Would we seek to be faithful in our everyday life as we move towards Jesus? It's in your name we pray. Amen.